16, verses 1 through 11. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were, they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and camped between Soko and Ezekah, Ezekah in Ephes-Demin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be your servant. We shall be your servants, and you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, "I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together." When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Our Father, we pray that these words, as we continue to hear and read and study and think through. Um, your words, Father, that you have given to us, let them be words of joy, let them be words of salvation, give us clarity and understanding. Let the words come out of, coming out of my mouth be your truth, and Father, let any of it that is my own truth or anything that is false, let it fall dead on ears, Father. We ask this for you to be great in our midst today as we study your word together in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I have been waiting a long time for this passage. Very, very excited about it, which may sound strange, but let's just say this. Um, the story of David and Goliath, it's not a children's story. It really isn't. Um, but to better understand exactly what's being said, what's being done, and for you to understand why this isn't a children's story, guess what? We're going to actually read it word for word. We're going to read the rest of chapter 17, which is another 47 verses. So I know you love the sound of my voice, but we're just going to, we're going to read it. And we're going to read every single word. And so if you've got your Bible app, it's not going to be on the screen. Grab a Bible app, grab a Bible. There's a Bible in front of you. You can grab one of those and read through it. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to start in verse 12, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand 
morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of, to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment of the host was go and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. When David said to, then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. 
And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell all the way from Shereem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Okay. There have been a lot of sermons I could probably say thousands upon thousands of sermons that have been written on the story of David and Goliath. But as one commentator writes, these five-point sermons, you know, one for every stone that David picked out of the brook, right, focus more around godly principles to live by and the character traits of David that we are to imitate as God's people. And then there's David's brother, Eliab and his response to David, or we could even talk about how Saul seems to not know David's family background, even though David has already been in his service for a while now. And all these issues, they're good to pursue, they're good to strive to try to understand what is actually being said. Why does David have a tent? He takes it back to Jerusalem, but at that time, Jerusalem is not under Israelite control. Where is what is going on in there? And those are all good things to pursue, to try, try to understand. But there is more to this passage than godly principles and godly character traits and family relationships. There's more to it. So what is it? 
I love this passage because David, he makes it easy. He actually tells us what the point is. Verses 46 and 47. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And that's not the point, by the way. Just want to let you know. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, which is, which is exactly what Goliath said he was going to do to David. And then here's the point. That. This is going to happen. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And so the questions that we're attempting to answer this morning are basically this. How do these two purposes that the earth may know that there's a God in Israel and that these, this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. How do those two purposes help us understand this famous battle? And how, does, how do these purposes affect my daily life as a believer in Jesus Christ? So, let's take one thing at a time. Israel's fear of Goliath proclaims that they need a savior. King Saul and the army of Israel are afraid of Goliath, which if you look at it from a human perspective, it makes total sense. It makes total sense that they would be afraid. Depending on which manuscript you read, Goliath is either six foot six or nine foot nine. Now, either way, those are big in our day, Back in ancient Israel, when everybody was shorter, it's superhuman, super tall, crazy. So Goliath is not a champion that you take lightly. He's a big man. And since we're in Minnesota country, it would be similar to one of us attempting to block Vikings linebacker Anthony Barr. How would that work out for you? Not good. He will squash you like a bug. This is what the army of Israel is facing. And in our facing Anthony Barr, this NFL linebacker, all pro, our lives and the future of our nation aren't on the line when we try to, to block him. So you've got extra pressure on top of his size and your life being on the, the line. This is the situation in which Saul and the army finds themselves. They're being challenged and mocked by this huge warrior and are rightfully trembling in fear, unwilling to fight. Their fear of Goliath proclaims, we need a champion. We need someone to step up. We need someone to take on this great warrior and we need someone to win or we will become slaves to the Philistines. And then suddenly this champion arrives. He's not part of the army. He certainly doesn't look the part of a soldier. We've looked at, um, at David in the past. He has no armor. He is too young to fight in the army. And yet David isn't not, is no ordinary young man. He's the anointed king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. And he's filled with the spirit of the Lord. And so he confronts this uncircumcised Philistine. That's just a fancy way of saying you're not part of God's circumcised people. Circumcision set 
Israel apart from the rest of the world. So he confronts this Philistine who defies and mocks the Lord and mocks the Lord's army. He deals a mortal blow with a stone to Goliath's forehead and then finishes his death quickly by taking Goliath's own sword and cutting off his head. From a human standpoint, David is outmatched, outarmored, and outgunned. There is no way that he should have won. But David is not the hero in this passage. This is where all those movies, David versus Goliath, or even our world says, you know, like this is a David versus Goliath type of football game or basketball game. They miss the point. David is not the hero in this passage. He did courageously take on Goliath, but David didn't win with his own strength and with his own cunning. As he tells Saul before confronting Goliath, he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Who wins the battle? God wins the battle. God defeats the Goliath. David was just the messenger. But David's trust and faith in the Lord to deliver him, and then God's subsequent deliverance of him from Goliath's hand, proclaims not only that Israel needs a Savior, but it proclaims the name of the Lord to the entire world. Now, this is not something new in Scripture. Theologian Richard Phillips points out that to proclaim the name of the Lord is to proclaim the character and the being of God. This is who God is, and so when we proclaim His name, we are proclaiming who God is to the world. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. He is loving. All of those types of things, those all proclaim who God is. That is proclaiming His name. And he points to the passage, actually, that we read every single Sunday, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the blessing to Aaron, the high priest. But after, right after speaking this blessing upon Aaron, God says, so shall they, that is the priests, put my name upon the people of Israel. To have the name of the Lord upon the people of Israel is to be under the blessing of God. His character, His goodness, His holiness, who He is, is placed upon His people. Saul was king because the people of Israel wanted to be like all the other nations around them. But they were unlike all the other nations precisely because they were living under the blessing of God. They were God's chosen people. They were called to be different. They wanted to be like everybody else. God goes, no, you need to be like no one else. So different, in fact, that all the other nations would see and know that they were the people of Yahweh. To see and know that they were different from us. Something's different about that people. Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, says exactly this when she met the two spies sent by Joshua. 
She tells them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heavens above and on earth beneath. And before this, as Israel prepares to destroy Jericho, Joshua reminds the people, he says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for, for us until we passed over, so that he did these things, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Jericho was not defeated to help the Israelites along. Goliath was not defeated so that Israel might stand strong. Jericho, Goliath, and so many others in Scripture were defeated so that the people of the earth may know who God is. The character and the being of God was proclaimed to the people of Jericho and to the whole world by the mighty acts that God himself had done to and through Joshua and the people of Israel, to and through David and the army of Israel. Goliath's defeat the routing of the entire Philistine army was a proclamation to all the other nations that Israel was God's people. Israel was living under his blessing and his care. And when he fights for them, he wins. No matter how large, no matter how technologically advanced the opponent may be, for how else could a young shepherd boy with no armor, no sword, defeat a veteran warrior like Goliath? Not in his own strength, no matter how good he is with a sling. But David's trust in the Lord also proclaimed a message of salvation to the people of Israel. Now, where, where do I get that? We see in David's words to Goliath in verse 47, this is what he says, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves without sword and spear. And so we have to ask ourselves, when he says this, who is this assembly? Okay, is it David and Goliath, like the two of us, to proclaim to you and to me that, that the Lord saves not with sword and spear? Is it the Israelites? Is it the Philistines? Is it both armies together? Is it this, the world, you know, like who is this assembly? Well, the word assembly is used 110 times in the Bible. And every time the word describes either Israel in the Old Testament or the church in the New Testament. And so the assembly that David speaks of is the army of Israel, not the Philistines, so that the people of God may know that the Lord saves not by sword or spear, but by the power of God's own hand. 
the army is under threat of becoming slaves to the Philistines. They need deliverance. They need to be saved from the threat of their enemy. So who will fight for them? Who will save them? And yes, David steps up to the plate, but it's the Lord who saves, which is why David held no sword and he wore no armor. For it wasn't by David's strength that Goliath was defeated, but by the power of Yahweh, the power of the Lord. You've heard me say this a couple times. I am not David. You are not David. Now, how can I say such a thing? Because that goes against every movie and every story ever told, at least from what I've heard about David and Goliath. Are we supposed to follow David's example of faithfulness and courage? Well, yes. Yes, we are. But that does not mean that I am David. It just means that he's an example to me. Just as Christ's life is an example of faithfulness and courage to us as a church. Or Paul, when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So if David, if I'm not David, then who am I? If you are not David, then who are you? And so to answer this, we need to look a little bit more closely at the different individuals and the different groups in this chapter. David, who is he? He's the anointed king chosen by God to lead his people. Who are Israel? Israel is God's people in need of a chosen king to lead them. They are fearful of and desperately in need of deliverance from their enemies, the Philistines. And then you've got Goliath and the Philistines. We'll kind of group them together. These are Israel's enemies, which makes them God's enemies. So there's, I think there are four or five times in this chapter the Philistines stay, or it is said, they defy Israel's army or the armies of the living God. Basically, I was saying these Philistines, they're mocking God. They're not mocking the army because these armies represent God. So uh, God's people. And so Goliath, they are Israel's enemies, which makes them God's enemies. They have and threaten to continue to enslave the people of God to their will and their desires. So those are really the three main characters other than God, and I hope nobody thinks they're God. I figured that's a given, right? So David, the anointed king of Israel, enters the battlefield and defeats Goliath, the strong, intimidating, and powerful enemy of Israel. Israel is powerless against Goliath. They tremble in fear, cowering against such a formidable foe. But when David cuts off Goliath's head, The army of Israel is empowered and emboldened for their enemy is defeated and they chase and destroy the army all the way to the gates of the Philistine capital. Goliath and the Philistines, they don't stand a chance. Their mocking and their ridicule of the people of God is mocking and ridiculing God himself, which is a very dangerous position in which to put yourself They may have been larger, stronger, more technologically advanced than the Israelites, but they lacked one thing, the true and living God. If God is for Israel, then who can stand against them? No one. David is the only one through whom the Lord would save Israel that day. For only the true anointed king would prevail over Israel's 
enemies. You see, 1 Samuel 17 doesn't teach us that if we just trust in the Lord, then we can overcome any trial or any problem that seems too big for us. That we can overcome cancer. We can overcome broken relationships. We can overcome bullies. We can overcome a horrible work situation. A horrible boss. Or a football team that seems too talented to beat. I'll let you do your own guessing on where my mind is on that. Now, it's not to diminish those trials and to diminish those problems. Those are, those are real, right? But there's something greater at stake in this story. This isn't about David's health. This isn't about David's brother who's jealous and says, I know the wickedness of your heart, which is completely opposite from why God chose David to begin with. It has nothing to do with this story. Those are just side stories. You see, like the army of Israel, we are too weak to save ourselves from the slavery to our enemy. We need a savior. We need a champion. And so, The Lord, Yahweh, sent His Son, Jesus, the anointed King, the true anointed King, to the cross. And through Him, our strong and powerful enemies of Satan, sin, and death were defeated. You get in this? We're not David. We are Israel. We are fearful. We're trembling at our enemies, and rightfully so. They are big enemies, too powerful for us to defeat because sin keeps us from knowing and having a relationship with God. Death holds us in its grasp for all eternity, and Satan uses it against us at every single moment of every single day that he possibly can. But Christ's defeat of sin and death empowers and emboldens God's people, those who have faith in him. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The once powerful enemy is now powerless over God's people. Why? Because of the salvation of the Lord given through His Son, His anointed King. We are not David. Jesus is David. Christ's trust and obedience to the Father proclaims the name of the Lord to the world and His work unites His people under the banner of God that proclaims that we who believe are under God's blessing. We are God's people. We are distinct and different from the world around us because we have the living God with us and in us and dwelling with us and in our lives every moment of every day. We are his people, not by our might and our power, but by the mighty work of the saving anointed king. That's what this story is about. Christ's trust and obedience to the Father not only proclaims to the world that we are God's people, but it proclaims to us that cell. Salvation is found only through Him. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Neither David nor the Israelite army 
could take credit for Goliath's defeat. And the same is true about us against our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. It was Christ's work so that none of us who are God's people can boast, I saved myself. I slayed that Goliath of sin and death. I defeated them. Nah. Christ defeated it. Goliath's defeat empowered and emboldened the army of Israel to route the Philistine army all the way to their capital. That's like 10 to 15 miles of killing sprees, defeating the enemies of God. Christ's defeat of sin and death empowers and emboldens us as God's people to route the enemy all the way to the gates of hell. And they will not prevail against us. Why? Because we're so awesome. No. Because he's awesome. Because he already won the battle. He has already defeated sin and death. In other words, Christ's victory removes all fear of sin and death, for they no longer have any power over us. Yes, we will still die. We're mortal, right? And you say, well, how can, how can if death is defeated, then, then how in the world can we claim victory over because we still die? But the death that he's talking about in that verse, in the New Testament, this is not a, a mortal death. This is an eternal death. And death, yes, we die physically, but spiritually, as God's people, we are no longer dead for all eternity in hell. We are alive in the presence of God for all eternity in heaven. Without Christ, we don't go to heaven. Without Christ, we don't have life. Without Christ, we have death. And then when Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven as our example, as our, in our place, he killed Goliath. He defeated Goliath. And so we can charge forward because we are no longer slaves to sin and death and Satan. And because of this, we can follow Christ's example, proclaiming the name of the Lord to an unbelieving world, that they will see the cross. It is not a mere fantasy or religious symbol. You know, what do they say now that what does religion do? And all these experts say, well, what religion does, it makes you feel better about yourself so that you can get through each day. And that might be true for other religions, but I'm telling you as a Christian, the only thing I have to fall back on a lot of times in my life is my faith in Christ to be reminded this is not the end. And it doesn't make me feel better. If you have cancer, you're not suddenly like, I feel great. No, you say, I can fight this. And should it take my life, I have no fear of it because my God has already defeated death. No matter what comes my way, I will stand firm because I know who my God is and I know who I am in God. So 
as God's people, as the church today, we should strive to show our neighbors and our friends, our classmates, our work mates and our family, that freedom and life is found only through faith in Christ. I do not fear the things of this world, and should my life be taken, all the better for me, because I will stand in glory in the presence of my anointed King Jesus Christ. Not because I'm so smart, not because I'm so great, but because I realize I need someone. I need a champion. And he is my champion. We should strive to remind ourselves, we should strive to remind one another that our salvation, our peace, our joy is found only through him, our true anointed king. So when you hear this story of David and Goliath, this really happened. And when you hear people try to explain it by giving all these little principles, and it's like, well, that's great, but what's really the main point? This is what you can say to them. I am not David, but I know the one who is, and his name is Jesus Christ, and in him I put my faith, and in him I put my trust. God is the hero. God is the power, and we are his people whom he saves. Father, I pray, I pray, God, that, oh man, just the joy that is here to know that you have fought this battle for us, that you have defeated Goliath through your son. We are not David. That is not a pressure put on us. We are not the anointed king. We are not the the one who stands and is our champion. You are, your son is, and we glorify you, Father, that we as your people, that we can now stand firm and fight sin in our life and we can fight against death. We can fight against the enemy, Satan, in this world because we know, Father, you have already won. You have already defeated and they know it. Satan knows it, God. May we stand firm as fear can tend to overwhelm us and fear of death, a fear of trials, a fear of troubles, fear of slavery, that all that, Father, we ask that you would wash that away from our minds and our hearts, and as your people, we would stand firm, that faith in you, because we believe, because of your Son, because of what he did, that we can stand firm in you. You are the hero, God. You are the power. You are the strength. And through us, may this world know who you are. And through us, Father, may we remind ourselves that we are yours. And if you are for us, then nothing can stand against us. We ask this, Father, in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?